everyone. Welcome back to the Happiest Hour podcast. This is your host, Kaylin, and today I have a very special guest with us. Her name is Julie Shackford. Um, Julie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Julie Shackford, and I'm excited to be here tonight. So um, long story short, me and Miss Julie met a long, long time ago when I was, I think I was in middle school or maybe even like early um, at the end of elementary school. Um, but her daughter Kaylee played soccer with my sister Tyler. And then our moms, um, my mom and Miss Julie became friends and our families have been super close ever since. And Miss Julie has always been someone I really looked up to, especially when I grew up playing soccer. Um, her advice and guidance was something that I took to heart a lot and her career is amazing. So I thought she would be a great person to interview. Um, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we'll kind of get into your journey to soccer so far? Sure, I would love to. I have spent the better part of 30 years as a college uh, soccer coach. Um, I went to the College of William & Mary and grew up in Northern Virginia, played, you know, all the way through to like national camp level, um, played at William & Mary, and then got myself into college coaching, kind of a you know, not something I'd planned to do, but kind of fell into it. And I was actually going to law school and my athletic director at William and Mary told me that Carnegie Mellon was starting a women's soccer program. They wanted somebody that was also interested in administration. Well, I had thought potentially that I would want to be a sports agent or an athletic director. And I knew I love soccer. So I thought, okay, I'll do it for a year and then I'll go on to law school. Long story short, I got myself involved with coaching at Carnegie Mellon, which was my first gig and fell in love with it. And 30 years later, um, I spent 20 year, five years at Carnegie Mellon, 20 years at Princeton, and just finished my second year at my alma mater, the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Well, you have had such a great career. I definitely want to break down each part of it and hear about your experience at all of those different stages. So first, tell me about how you grew up playing soccer. Um, what made you want to play at a higher level, your experience in high school and also playing in college? Yeah, it's a great question. My dad was actually with the FBI and he was a, a New Yorker and had gotten transferred down to um, Washington, D.C. and literally saw a sign for soccer. He had no idea what it was really and signed uh me up my sister up my brother up and it was love at first sight practically for all of us um back in those days you stuck with the club team for a while um and i was on the same team for 10 years with jill ellis and megan mccarthy and and many of my best friends still today we ended up winning the national championship before we all went to college uh so it was like a fairy tale club experience um you know you don't see that as much today with you know everything's become so much about a business and making money and um so it was pretty like it was basically volunteer coaches and people truly just helping out when they could and we just happened to have a really good team and northern virginia was kind of in the 70s a hotbed of soccer believe it or not with the washington diplomats around and so we had great environments and then went to william and mary uh, played there. Uh, our team played, a, you know, we were a top 10 school the whole way through. And I got to play with, with my two best friends, Jill Ellis and Megan McCarthy at the time, and had a wonderful experience, even though, you know, while I was in high school, you know, I can remember being a freshman in high school and there, there was no college soccer. By the time I graduated high school, it had grown exponentially and i did have that opportunity and i'm so thankful for it i was kind of a baby of, of title nine and was afforded a really special opportunity early on 
um, in college soccer. So I, I was pretty lucky. And from day one, it's been, I'm most at peace and, and most in love and most um, myself when I'm around the game. I'm just, it's my passion and it, it's never felt like a job or a career. It's, it's more just a way of life. So what made you want to transition from not just being a player, but also being a coach? What did you do after you graduated? And maybe you thought your college soccer and just soccer career was over, but how did you keep that going? What were you up to after graduating from William Mary? Right. Well, I had coached uh, in high school quite a bit and a coach with Virginia ODP and Jill Ellis's dad, John, ran these soccer camps called Soccer Academy, which were uh, really a learning and, and breeding ground for a lot of coaches that are still in the game today. And, and so I had always had the passion and he helped bring it out in me. I had great coaches. I had a wonderful high school coach who was a woman named Carolyn Rice, who to this day runs Ironmans and she's amazing in her seventies. And so I always had these great role models in the game. I didn't know that I would be able to uh, take it to the next level in terms of coaching. I mean, I played at the highest levels I could. I never made it to the full women's national team, um, but I played at every other level and continued to do that while I was coaching and, and played almost all the way through on men's teams, club teams, wherever I could play, pick up. Um, and so I think that first year at Carnegie Mellon really solidified my desire to stay with soccer as a, as a career and, um, you know, try to immerse myself at, at, at that point in time at, at the club level, um, getting all my coaching licenses and, you know, basically starting a program from scratch at Carnegie Mellon. So is how different is coaching soccer at camps and um, through club teams compared to coaching a program, especially a division one program in college? I know you did that Carnegie Mellon and also at Princeton where we met. Um, so what's the difference? What was that journey to become a college coach as opposed to just, you know, a coach that could camps and stuff like that? Yeah, I think like when you're in camps, you're making quick interactions with people. You don't get the depth of you know, one-on-one -on -one that you get when you are working with a, a 18 year old, you know, entering freshman who graduates basically into a woman by the time she's 22 and all the ins and outs of, of uh, student athletes, academic, social, athletic, personal life. Um, I mean, I think the beauty of being a college coach is you get to watch that development over four years and see every step of the way and be with them every day. And um, I think that that is what I love most about the college environment. Like I've enjoyed club experiences and ODP experiences and I've worked, you know, with some, with some national team camps and stuff like that. And I think you draw, you know, you, you draw energy from those experiences and you make contacts for sure. And, you do make an impact, especially on younger players. Um, but I think like, following that full four year evolution um, is such an important time in a young woman's life. And it's the first time they're away. It's the first time they're dealing with themselves. It's the first time they've sat, you get to sit and think about what your wants and desires and goals are on and off the field. And I think being privy to that experience is like amazing and humbling. And I love that part of it. So what were some of the experiences that you had um, specifically even at Princeton? Cause I know you spent probably the most, the biggest chunk of your career there. What were some of the highs and lows of your 
career as a coach, um, some of the best moments and also some of the tough parts that maybe we don't get to see every day from a coach's perspective? Right. Well, I mean, I think being being a coach is is one of those things where, you know, you are you're in a lot of ways you're defined by your your record. You know, so I think it, it's about wins and losses, a lot of it. And so I think if we start with that perspective that I am I'm driven to win and I love to win. And, you know, I think that as you go along and, and have a long career like I do, I obviously, you know, have, have won a lot, but I've also have lost. And I think, you know, you're out there, you know, it's like you take, you're preparing for a test and, and you study all week and then it's out to see. And, you know, I think that I've learned so much about myself as a person and a coach and a teacher and have failed a lot too. And I've tried to um, you know, take those losses and make them opportunities to get better. Um, I think that as a young coach, they were devastating and I wouldn't sleep until the next game came around. Um, but I've tried to instill, you know, kind of all the tenets of, of being a successful person, athlete, leader um, into the teams I've coached. And, and, and I think if you, you know, strive for excellence every day, um, on the field and have a strong culture that, you know, it will turn into success. And, and, and I was very lucky from that perspective. So I think that that's a piece of it. And then there's a piece of, you know, managing individual expectations, right? So you have 20 to 30 players who are all, you know, wanting to get on the field, number one, wanting to have goals for themselves, figuring out where they fit in, figuring out themselves. And so, so trying to navigate that part as a leader. And I think when you first start off, you want to please everybody and try to please everybody. And you quickly learn as you go along as a coach that you can't. And that if you really want to make everybody happy, you need to go and sell ice cream or something where, you know, you, there, there's not as much at stake. And so I think that I've learned so much over the years about how to balance individual expectations with uh, a team goal and team progress and and building a team culture that allows all of these student athletes to succeed. And by succeed, I don't mean being a starter or winning the championship or going to the NCAA tournament. To me, succeeding is figuring out where they fit in, how they can get better and how they can kind of look back and say, like, these were the four best years of my life because I learned so much about myself. Absolutely. I think that's such a good, that was such a great answer. I've gotten to watch you coach a couple of different times throughout like my childhood. And sometimes you would let me come with you when we do those children's camps and stuff. So I got to see the magic that you put into other people. And it was, it's definitely inspiring. I could see why you were so successful. Um, kind of switching gears from being a coach to also having to deal with recruiting and looking at high school athletes and finding females that, um, you'd want to add to your program. What are some of the things that make a difference um, being a coach versus a recruiter? And also maybe some insight into what you think stands out for you and what you look for when you add to a program. That's a great question. I mean, clearly, you know, I, I have certain things that I like about a player. Um, I like a player who has got a really high soccer IQ, meaning that under the duress of time and space, they're able to make good decisions. So that means that they have to be technical and understand the game. We obviously want, you know, the best athlete we can get to. Um, and, and 
probably most importantly, because at the college level, talent gets you to a point, obviously, it gets you in and, and gives you a certain level of, um, you know, swag in terms of, of what your potential is a player. But I think what I found um, and what I look for is, is consistency, number one, because it, it typically ends up that the players that are the most consistent every day are the ones that end up being the most successful. I think um, young women who have a strong sense of self, meaning that they're competitive and they're determined, but they're also respectful and want to learn. And I learn by watching them play. I learn by watching how they respond to coaching. Um, I learn about them through their extracurriculars, what they've put their time into. Um, and, you know, I think the ability to um, work within a team construct. And, and, and obviously, as a recruiter, you can't know all of those things, but you do your best to, you know, develop a relationship where you really get to know the person that you're recruiting, because ultimately, you know, we, we do want the best athletes, of course, but, you know, you want the people by your side who believe they can get where they want to get, who believe in you, who are optimistic, passionate, and, you know, no, no can, you know, put the work in and be passionate about it. I think that makes a lot of sense too. I think sometimes it's a big mystery of like, what are coaches looking for when you're playing a sport and you're, you try to be a lot of things, but I think um, it can be a little confusing too, of what you're supposed to show and how you're supposed to showcase yourself, but still be part of a team. So I think that's really good advice as well. And you also did some recruiting, I believe for college athletes trying to play at a higher level after college as well. So can you tell us a little bit about how that's different and how you got involved in that, your experience and what you look for as well when they're going from college to a higher level after that for women's soccer? Yeah, I've done a couple of things. So, uh, I mean, we've had a few players that have played, you know, probably 15 or so players that either played overseas or play, played in the NWSL or are in the NWSL. Um, you know, I think we have... I know Tyler Lucy is still playing for the Portland Thorns at the moment. Jen Hoy just retired from the NWSL. So, so we've had a few. And, you know, I think what you try to get across to those uh, student athletes who want to make the jump from college to pro, especially at a place like Princeton, where, you know, there are some limitations in the offseason and the amount of contests we can have, um, that they really have to put the work in themselves. And it really is um, a lot of that process is navigation uh, by yourself. I can remember, um, you know, Esmeralda Negron and, and Jen Hoy and, and, you know, Tyler Lucy, all these players, what, what, what I tried to instill in, that, in them is that, you know, they had to put the work in every day. And so, you know, I can remember Jen Hoy spending, you know, an hour, hour and a half a day in the squash court or on the field besides her practices, besides her schoolwork. And, um, you know, and, and, and helping make connections with coaches overseas and, and whatever it might be, like, like I could do that piece of it. But I think ultimately it became about those instilling in those players the desire to put in the work to, you know, help get themselves to the next level. You know, and I think that all of those players did that. And, and it, it really was just me facilitating and them owning the process. I think the other thing I did kind of in between leaving Princeton and going to William & Mary was trying to help um, high school 
and club players find a college that met their needs and met as a player and a student. And I think through both of those experiences, what I would say to young people getting recruited, whether it's for sports or grad school or jobs is, is ultimately to, to be your best self and be yourself. And I think so, you know, when you're young, you're constantly, like you said, you're constantly like thinking like, well, what should I be? Who should I be? Who should I emulate? And, and I think ultimately um, the thing that comes across best is, is being yourself and investing in your own process. So through your experience with the national team and kind of not only competing yourself, but also recruiting at that level, um, what do you kind of see as the future for women's soccer? We've seen so much in the news as well about the national team, obviously all the success they've had, but also them competing for their rights and making sure that they're being represented well as well as women's soccer grows into a giant that it is in America today. So yeah. what do you kind of see as the future and you're kind of being a part of that, shaping that future as well? Oh gosh, well, I don't know if I'm I'm part of shaping the future, but I'd, you know, I'd like to think that I'm invested in it for sure. And I think like we're, we're in this great place where our, our women's national team is full of amazing role models who have, you know, push their agendas, but in a way that we need them to, for women to be successful, whether they're on the soccer field or not. And I think, you know, strong personalities, whether it's Carly Lloyd or Megan Rapinoe um, or Alex Morgan, or, and even some of the younger players, uh, you know, providing platforms where, where these issues are discussed, whether it's equal pay or, you know, uh, whatever it might be, it, it, it it could be issues of race, religion, whatever it might be, but I think that it's been an incredible platform for, for us as coaches and young players. And I think the women's team, because of their success, has it's spilled over into mainstream, uh, uh, mainstream world, really, if you think about it. There's so many people invested in, in the team and their program and, and all the idols. And I think that, um, you know, they've spread their message in a way that doesn't, you know, diminish anything they've done on the field, but, you know, gives a platform for women to be heard. I think so many girls now, especially growing up in soccer, are dreaming. And I remember me too, growing up with your daughters as well, of like you have these role models that you get to see on TV. And that was cool because that wasn't something that was really even possible, I think, before that. And now all of a sudden you could see it as something that's attainable, which is really inspiring, I think, to young children. And so with that, I want to ask you, what's your advice um, for young soccer players, whether they're just starting out or in high school, find their place. I know you also have daughters that have played soccer as well and played at really high levels. So what's your advice to those soccer players? What can, what can they keep doing? What can they keep their eye on um, to develop themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, first of all, like mastery of the ball, like to me that, that for a young player, especially between the ages of, I don't know, five to 12, I think that so much of your muscle memory and and your technical work should be done and having a mastery of the ball. And I think because we're kind of in this era where club club coaches are being paid money to win, and and I understand that uh, from every perspective. But I think at some, you know, sometimes the individual player gets kind of subsumed, and because teams want to win, and as a result of that, I don't think that a lot of young players spend enough time with the ball. Um, it's been great to see over the quarantine, like all these videos and, and kids getting out with the ball. And I, so I would say mastery of the ball is huge, number one. Number two, finding an environment 
meaning finding a club or school environment where you know you can develop as a player, number one. Um, number two, you're getting good coaching. But you know what, Kaylin? Ultimately, when you are a young player, you have to be having fun. And I think a lot of a lot of people lose sight of that because they're so worried, I've got to get a scholarship or I've got to get this or I've got to get to this team or I want to do that team. And, and, and I can think back when I was a young coach reading a big article on Michael Jordan and then having just gone through watching his last dance, like as competitive and driven and maybe almost too driven at some points, he, he always said it was fun. And I think that that's got to be foremost in the back of, of players and parents' minds when they're signing their kid up for the next thing. Like, do they come home jazzed up because, you know, they won their 2v2s or because they got to juggle 100 times or, you know, I, I won my fitness test or, or God, we played this awesome today. Like, like that's the real measure, I think, of, of a youth player um, not only being successful, but but staying in the game and and you know finding a place. Well, thank you for that advice. I think a lot of um, players, athletes, no matter what sport they're playing, could really use that advice. And I think also just for all the listeners that um, maybe they're not women's soccer players, but they're looking for their next job or their next the next thing that they want to pick up. Hopefully, it's something that's fun for them because I think that's sometimes when you do your best work is when you're just having fun. It doesn't feel like work. And that's kind of why I started this podcast was I was working already full time, but I wanted to find something that would just be fun. And so doing things like this, it doesn't feel like work. And hopefully that just makes it better. So thank you for that advice. Kind of transitioning out of just soccer, but I want to get to know you a little bit better for everybody. What are some of the things you do in your free time, your hobbies when you're not, you know, on the field coaching? What are you up to? Great question. Well, first of all, I'm a mom to three kids, uh, Kaylee, Cameron and Keegan. Kaylee is a college freshman. Um, and Keegan and Cameron are boy-girl twins that are uh, finishing up their junior year. So, I mean, being home in quarantine has also allowed me the most time that I've spent with my kids probably since they were born. So that, you know, that's been a, a, a nice silver lining of this whole thing. Um, hobbies along the years. I was a violinist growing up. Um, I'd like to get back to that at some point. But I was so busy raising my kids that... I didn't always have times for ho for hobbies, but I will say now that I'm very into yoga. I'm obsessed with yoga. I think it has made me a better person. Um, I love the physical benefits of it, but I also love um, the the mental aspect of it. Um, I love to read fiction and nonfiction. Um, I just um, my latest books are on the edge, which is a the art of a high pack leadership. It was written by Allison Levine, who, who climbed all the major peaks in the world, and it's really good. And then my fiction book, and, and a lot of times I'll just read them side by side, uh, is called We Were the Lucky Ones, which is a World War II uh, book about um, uh, Poland and, and some of the nasty things that went on there um, and how a family kind of was intertwined um, over Europe. And let me think what else I do. I... I've gotten a Peloton in quarantine, so I've been busy uh, putting in miles. And, you know, I think it's interesting because I need to find more hobbies. I think coaching is such a 24-7 job and really difficult to turn off. Um, so, you know, I have a few, but I kind of look forward to, 
you know, maybe picking up some new ones. And but but that's basically what keeps me busy when I do have a little bit of time. We have a Peloton too, the bike, um, and we are obsessed with it. We've I've never put in so many miles before. Um, prior to quarantine, I'm like, it's so easy to have it in the house. I don't have to worry about going outside and like dealing with that mess. I can just handle it inside. So I love my Peloton. Who's your favorite? Yeah, who's your favorite instructor? I really, really like um, Emma Lovewell. She's my favorite, and then I have really gotten into Dennis Morton. I feel like he just oh, I like Dennis that. too. Yeah, I feel really good about it. I do honestly. I just filter it by the forty-five minute country rides. Yeah. So I love country music, and then yeah. I just I'll pick whoever's there. But Hannah Marie Corbin does a lot of country rides, so I do her a lot too. Yeah, I do Jen Sherman too. She's all about the '80s, and I like Benjamin Aldis. And I, I really have not found any instructors that I didn't like, you know, which exactly. is awesome. As I'm like, yeah. as the weather's getting warmer, I'm trying to get back and run, like running outside. I had ACL surgery in November. So I, um, I'm trying to get back. Run. Audio. For five minutes or however long you want to run. So I've been using that too. The Peloton app is fantastic. <laughs> I know I've done the walks, I've done the meditation and I've done the yogas and I've done the floor exercises as well. So, yep. I wish this was sponsored by Peloton. It's not, but um, I, I do. <laughs> Let's work um, on that. So, Let's work on that. Yeah. Peloton, if you're listening, we'd love to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm a poster child, honestly. Me and my mom, between the two of us, I can't even tell you how many miles we put in. So I definitely recommend awesome. for anybody listening to get the Peloton bike. Um, but yeah, just wanted to know now kind of what your future looks like. What are um, your plans and goals, not just professionally with coaching, but also in your personal life? Um, so I would say my personal life, well, I did get remarried almost five years ago because you know, you know, you were there and, um, so I am happily married and, and looking to get my juniors, you know, off, you know, to their college of choice. So they'll be spending some time. Um, we'll see once things open up, uh, exploring their colleges for football and soccer. And then I think, you know, professionally, I took over for uh, my coach at William & Mary, John Daly. He was hugely successful and um, retired in his 70s. And I've been there for almost two years and uh, have a lot of, you know, a lot of good challenges ahead of me. And I'm really excited about our team. We've spent a lot of time, especially in the last four or five months um, on our team culture. And when I took over, we kind of had a vision for the program and where we wanted to, to go. And we've slowly worked that culture from coaches now really moving it into players having responsibility for it. And I think we're, we're really starting to make a shift in our program. And so we've worked on our core values. We've worked on a mission statement. We've worked on you know, different scenarios about what a good culture is. And, and again, that's also something that's really important in any organization that you're in is, you know, what drives your culture and what are the behaviors that are associated with your cultures? What do you stand for? Um, and I think that we've had some really good, honest conversations about what that looks like. Um, so, so that's my next challenge and to get back on the field and, and get the program back on the map and, and kind of where I want it to be.
What do you have your players doing right now to kind of uh, stay in the mindset of soccer? I know there's so much unknowns right now. And um, wow. what, what can you, what are you doing right now as a coach and your players doing just to kind of stay motivated, stay as a team, work on your um, core values, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question because I think because of the uncertainty of this whole time, we've, we've focused a lot on mental health um, and have, have done, you know, obviously our high performance department and our coach um, have given our players workouts that they can do running and lifting. And we've given them, you know, ball workouts and those will start kind of ratcheting up once we figure out when we're getting back. But I, but we've spent a ton of time on leadership We've brought in a ton of speakers and most of them, I think all of them have been William and Mary alums who are in their respective fields, like, you know, either really well known and renowned. Um, we've talked about mental health. We've had breakout sessions in our Zoom calls. Um, and I think we've focused really, you know, the least on the soccer piece and more on kind of the intangible things that you that you don't have as much time as you want when you're you know on the field every day so i think that again has been another silver lining for us absolutely i think um my dad has said it a lot where now that we have so much time on our hands there's always that list of things that you want to do but you, there's always an excuse you you don't have enough time you're training um you're working it's taking classes but if you're not going to do it during quarantine you can never say that you didn't have the time to do it so i think that's really important that you guys are talking about mental health and um kind of taking not just soccer into just the playing but also the mental so i think that's really impressive that's awesome i hope other colleges are doing that my final question to you as i'm seeing you with your william and mary sweatshirt is what's it like going from being a player to an alumni to now a coach what was that like what's it like being back at your alma mater uh, it's like 100% magic. Um, William & Mary has always been, you know, my happy place. And it's where I learned how to be a critical thinker. It's where, you know, I learned how to be a better athlete. Um, it really helped mold me into the person I am today, number one. It also gave me the best friends a woman could ask for. And, you know, they are, we call we are called the tribe and they are my tribe. And I think for me going back, like, I feel like it's my duty to enable our student athletes to, to understand what it means, first of all, to be at such a special place, but ultimately to share the same experience that I had with them and, you know, help them realize their dreams. And, and again, understand that, you know, they're, they're in this tribe for life and how important that is. Well, as much as I miss you in Princeton, um, where we first met, I'm so happy that you're enjoying William and Mary. I know we definitely miss you around here, but going back to your roots, I know when I heard that you were going to be coaching at William and Mary, as much as I was like, dang, Princeton's really missing out. The whole town is going to miss you, but I'm just really happy that you ended up in your happy place. So I just want to say thank you so much for answering my questions too. And, and obviously Princeton and New Jersey will always have a special place uh, in my heart and my kids' heart. And I think they will always think of themselves as Jersey girls and boys. And it, it truly was everything and then some. So that experience is awesome. Yeah, we missed the Super Bowl parties. We wish you guys were close. I'm really happy that kind of everything worked out the way it was supposed to do for you guys too. But yeah, we definitely do miss you around here. We were driving by the other day and I was like doesn't Miss Shafford live she used to live there for sure um so it's just so funny but 
Thank you again so much for answering all of our questions. You gave me a lot to think about. I'm sure a lot of um, young athletes that are listening to a lot to think about. Um, but to kind of get you a little bit more on a personal level, I figured we could answer some rapid fire questions, some this or that questions, and you can Let's pick and kind of describe why you're picking that one too, maybe. So the first one is going to be dog or cat. Definitely dog. Cats are sneaky. Dogs put it all out there. I know what you're getting. Oh, definitely. Cats are not my thing either. Um, Netflix, especially during this quarantine time, I'm sure maybe you're watching something. I've deferred to Netflix um, mainly because most of my time is spent uh, watching Game of Thrones, which I never had the chance to watch. And I am I am almost done with it. And it has been amazing. Yeah, my parents watched Game of Thrones too. I haven't quite gotten into it, but maybe I will. <laughs> um, next question is cardio or weights? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> 20 years ago, I would have said cardio, but at this point in my life, in my 50s, I'd have to say weights. Fair enough. Um, Instagram or Twitter? Oh, man. I'm going to say Instagram. Yeah, I like Instagram too. I'm not, I don't even think my Twitter is active anymore, but. Maybe I should get back on it. I don't know. I think also because all of our recruits and 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 it's 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 a younger platform that I feel like I have to as well, you know? <laughs> definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I like seeing all your posts about your new like recruits and stuff like that. It is it's it's a nice way to go through it, but I do catch myself on it for maybe longer than I'd like to during quarantine. I don't yeah. want to screen time, but um yeah, I definitely all go down those rabbit holes for sure. And you don't even realize what time it is. And all of a sudden you look up, it's three hours later. Yep. <laughs> so um, next question is beach or mountains? Beach. Just have always been a beach girl. Yep. I could have guessed that. Even with my fair, you know, Irish German skin, I'm still obsessed with the beach and the water is such a calming, a calming environment for me. Absolutely. I have to agree too. Um, coffee or tea, which one do you use to start your morning? Absolutely coffee, the strongest, blackest coffee that I grind myself. Oh my gosh, you're like a you're you're a purist when it comes to coffee. Trader Joe's morning brew. It's a medium blend. It's to die for. Okay. I have to look into that. I am starting to drink black coffee. It's new for me, but I figured, you know, with my adulthood, maybe I'll start. Um, so maybe I'll have to transition to that too. Um, next question is early riser or night owl? Definitely early riser as a as a rule, but I will say in quarantine that I've I've been both. But in general, I'm an early riser. That's my body clock. I like to get stuff done between six and ten. I think I'm most productive. I was gonna ask you, what is early riser for you? Like what time what time are, do you usually wake up like when you're coaching and stuff and then during quarantine, what time are we waking up? Yeah, I mean I think while I'm coaching, probably closer to five AM, but I think Quarantine, I've, I, I last till about seven. I think I, I'm up by seven usually. Good question though. Yeah, I wish I could say the same. I think of myself as an early riser as well, but my early is like 7.38 sometimes. Maybe it's not that early. Um, I think that's the college student in me though. I think once I'm like really going to the office, I have to change. Um, red wine or white wine? Red. Red. Like, all the time? I, yeah. Pretty much red all the time. I think it, I like the a drier wine and I like, I don't like real fruity wines and I feel like whites are just too fruity for me. And I like the fact that I can drink it like warm and yeah, it just satisfies my palate better than the white. Fair enough, fair enough. And <laughs> last question is Apple Music or Spotify? Um, 
I would say Spotify. I use Spotify more. I think it's, it's just maybe ease for me. You know, I'm an old goat, so it just seems easier to use for me, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I have Apple Music purely family pays for the family plan. Um, yeah. But when I'm on my own dime, I'll have to figure out which one uh, makes more sense. But luckily, this podcast is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So no matter which platform you prefer, you can definitely subscribe and find it. Um, but this kind of wraps up the interview. Do you have any last thoughts or anything that you'd like to share before we kind of wrap things up? No, I'm just happy to see you doing so well and that you're able to, you know, have this type of environment for, you know, a good release for learning and for, you know, even connecting people. So I'm super proud of you too. And I'm thankful that you asked me to be on. And, you know, I think that, you know, just, just the journey is, is all, all important and the process is all important and, you know, try to enjoy every day. Make most of it. Definitely. I know I've, I've taken so much away from you over the years in terms of like, you know, inspirational quotes or just trying to emulate the positive things that I've learned from you. So I really appreciate it. It was my honor to have you on the podcast. I really learned a lot. I hope everybody else did too. Um, thank you so much to everybody that has supported my channel so far. I have received so many lovely notes and thoughts. Um, we have a lot of exciting guests just like Miss Julie to come on the podcast as well. So please make sure to subscribe. Um, it really does support my podcast. I'm so excited to put out more content for everybody. This has been the happiest hour. Cheers for now.